0: Hope Church. Good morning. Awesome, awesome song that we just sang. Uh, You know, I will build my life. You know, on a on that firm foundation, folks. I, I hope that that's not just words coming out of our mouths this morning. But that's a reality, that we build our lives on God and his word. That's the firm foundation. We sing another song, you know, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is shifting sand. Do you believe that this morning? (coughs) Amen. We're going to live by that in our lives. You see, folks, because we have two ways to approach life. We can live life according to God's way or according to our ways. You can live life according to God's way or you can pick your own way. Those are really the only two options that we have before us. So I want to encourage us this morning. To pick God's way. And, and it's a heavy thing as we look at the word today. You know, as we started back in the book of Genesis from the beginning, understanding where we came from in order to understand who we are, in order to understand where we're going, the book of Genesis is foundational for that. You see, you can take the book of Genesis as powerful and meaningful and foundational for your life, or you can take it as fairy tales. But folks, if you take the book of Genesis as just a bunch of fairy tales with no real meaning for our lives today, well, that's the foundation. If you don't, if you don't trust anything in Genesis, then how do you trust anything in the gospels? How do you trust anything in the rest of the old Testament or in the new Testament? Folks, God is telling us in Genesis, even his plan and purpose for our lives. And so last week we read Genesis chapter one through chapter two, verse three. And in this, we had the description of God creating um, the universe in uh, very, you know, broad general terms. And in in chapter two, we're going to see today uh, more explicitly his relationship, his creation and relationship of, of human beings. It's talked about in chapter one, but more details and more specifics are given in chapter chapter two. But I want to read chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, again, as um, that foundation, that introduction for us this morning, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in His image, in the image of God, he created Him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Till the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Just a couple of notes there when he said to Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and multiply. Obviously human beings have been obedient to that command to at least a certain degree because you were here listening to this message. Right? If there had been no obedience to that command, we wouldn't be here listening to that to that message at all. And God I want to say something here really important. You see, God is God is sovereign. God is all powerful and God is sovereign. What does that mean? It means that God, you know, God rules. So I mean, we say God is sovereign. But look at what he told Adam and Eve there. He said, have dominion. And in that word, there's an idea of stewardship, of, of taking care of, of being responsible for the rest of the creation. You see, in God's sovereignty, In his rule and authority, he gives a certain amount of of rule and authority to human beings. Now, that doesn't go beyond the parameters that he has given or beyond the abilities that he has given us. But you see, in God's rule and sovereignty, he decided that it was good for us to have a certain amount of rule. And a certain amount of authority. And we know that is true in our own lives and in our own experiences. Even if you're a follower of Jesus today, you you have been made a new creation and you um, know what God expects of your life as you read it in the word. Yet you still have a certain amount of decision making every day of whether you're going to live according to that or not. You still have options of whether you obey God or disobey God. And of course, there are you know, benefits and consequences that come along with that. So that's how God has designed things. And we see it back here in the book of Genesis is God gave Adam and Eve dominion. And they're supposed to be stewards of this. And we can see, you know, the ramifications in our world when we are not good stewards of what God has given us. And when people don't have clean water to drink and clean air to breathe, you know, there's a, there's a reason for that. And a lot of that reason has to do with stewardship. Of the authority that God has given us. And so we're going to continue that. I want to set that framework up for us. As we continue in Genesis chapter 2. So before we get into Genesis chapter 2. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. And Heavenly Father we thank you. For your word. And for your love. And your power. And your goodness to us. And we thank you that you have made us and created us and put your image on us and have given us value. And that value is there, male and female, that value is there, regardless of ethnicity or language, that value is there, regardless of one's age. Lord, we thank you that you have given us value. We are precious in your sight. Help us to understand your word and to humble ourselves before you and to admit, Lord, that your ways are better than our ways and that we would follow you. Even when it's contrary to what our world, or our society or even our own families tell us, help us to be obedient to you, dear God. We pray it and we ask it in your precious name, dear Jesus. Amen. So in verse four of Genesis chapter two, it says, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was on the earth before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. And there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground and the Lord God formed man out of the, of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Verse 8, Then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon, and, the name of the, and it's first the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Hiddekel; It is the one that goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you shall, you eat of it, you shall surely die. Or literally <laughs> dying, you will die. And so I just want to stop there for a minute. To see, again, you know, God had told them and you know, in, in Genesis chapter 1, the instruction is, you know, to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the whole earth. But, you know, that was too big of a job for for, for Adam. So God puts Adam in the Garden of, of Eden and gives him a a space that he is actually capable of taking care of. There's a good lesson for us there. You know, God, God gives you responsibility for what you are able to. To impact. And and with that. Yes you can impact much more. Than perhaps you are prone to think that you can impact. But. God understands you know again. Our limitations. And he expects us to operate well. Within those limitations. And so he put the garden there. And he put. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of life. And he told him not to take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, next week we'll have chapter three. So we'll talk more about that then, but spoiler alert, um, you know, we know God, everything made is good. And yet today we see many things around us are not good. So something all obviously happened Well, Genesis chapter three happened, <laughs> the, the disobedience of, of Adam and Eve happened. And it was particularly on Adam's shoulders as here he has given these instructions. In verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now both of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife. And we're not ashamed. Now there's a few things that we need to take note of here. And again, you know, many people don't like what they read in Genesis chapter 2. There many people in our world are offended by Genesis chapter 2. But I want to make a few notes that I think are vitally important for us to understand, and they're vitally important for all followers of of Jesus to understand in all times, and in particularly in our times, there are some things important for us to understand. And we have a a, a responsibility. You see, I have a responsibility to the to God, to the Scripture, and to you to teach what the Scripture says, whether that is popular or not. Whether or not anybody accepts it or not, whether everybody everybody just packs up their cars and drives away in the middle of it or not, I'm accountable before God. See, this is what the scripture says. And we have to take the word of God in sincerity, in truth, or not take it at all. You know, we're not going to sit here and pick and choose what parts of the Bible we like. We're not going to pick and choose and just go, where well, see here it just says, you know, God is love. And just take that one, one verse and say, you know, I'm just going to go with that and forget the rest of it. Because really God is showing us his love here in Genesis chapter 2. His love for us as human beings. You know, many people have a problem with the word helper here. That that Adam made Eve, and the Scripture says that you know she is a comparable helper for him. But you see, the problem is people are looking at human sinfulness through the lens of human sinfulness, and through the lens of our culture, and then judging God's word based on a poor lens. But you see, let's talk about what helper is in the Scripture. Let's listen to Psalm 10, verses 13 and 14. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, You will not require an account. But listen to verse 14, but you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief, to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. See, the psalmist calls God a helper. In Psalm 30, verse 10, it says, Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, Be my helper. So God himself, if God is referred to as a helper, are we calling God a derogatory name? When we say God is my helper? You see, in that relationship, when we're saying God is my helper, we have no misunderstanding that God is higher and yet God is helper. Jesus he said he came to be a servant. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all. Are we saying it's derogatory for Jesus to be called a servant? Jesus himself says in, um, in the Gospel of John, He says in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So Jesus said that to his disciples. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, who is fully God equal with the father and the son helper. So you get that even in the triune God, father, son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is referred to as helper. Does that mean that the Holy Spirit is less than? are less val- valuable than the Father or the Son? Absolutely not. You see, to read in that the Holy Spirit would be less than the Father or the Son because the word helper is used, again, is to, is to look at the Scripture and look at God's economy through a broken human lens. Let's also take note When Eve is formed, she is not taken from Adam's head to be above him. She is not taken from his feet to be below him. She is taken from his side to be next to him. Already back in Genesis one, we said, you know, male and female, he created them in his image. God created them. So any idea that you know people will say, "Well, you see, the Bible doesn't view men and women as equal." You see, that's garbage. See, God created human. You know, men and women is equal. That's in the. That's in Genesis chapters one and two. It's already there, back at the beginning. Now, still, some people are going to read what they want to read, but if you take an objective look at it, it's clear. But they are given as complementary to one another. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And here God gives as a gift to humanity what we call family. What the scripture calls family. And he gives certain parameters for that. Now before I go any further, I want to, because I know some people are going to get a little bit, you know, shaky, possibly upset, frustrated or whatever this morning, but, but I, I, I want to put us all on the same playing field for a minute. See, God has given his parameters for sexual purity. God's given his parameters for that. And as the scripture says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, Jesus is obviously the exception to You know, he's the only one who is righteous. He's not being referred to in that verse. But he's the one, again, put on human flesh, born of a virgin. Born, you know, born um, outside of sin where we are born in sin. You see, every one of us has to one degree or another violated God's standards for sexual purity, as we read in the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in this area, I have yet to meet a human being who would say, "No, I've lived perfectly pure in thought, in word, in deed on this subject." It just, as a human, no, you, you just, you and I have it. We have all failed. Every last one. To one degree or another. So we have two options with that. One is in his work to try to explain it away and to trade God's instructions for our own instructions and to say, this is what is right and this is what is wrong, and I'm going to live by what I say or what my society says. That's one way to approach it. The other the second way to approach it is to admit our brokenness. To admit our brokenness, to admit our need for the Lord's help in order to strive to live out what God has instructed us with. Like how you know to to try to live out God's instructions in that area of life. Now, the reality is that the vast majority of people have chosen option number one, which is the easier option of I'll just make my own rules. Thank you very much. I'll make my own moral and ethical standards. And I'll go by that. I hope that all of us listening to this message today have taken the way of brokenness. And said, Lord, I'm, I am broken and I am fallen and I have sinned and, and without you, I'm going to you know continue to sin. So I need your help each and every day. And particularly in this area of life, Lord, I need your help. I hope that we would take the second option, the option of humility and of brokenness and of recognizing that we need help. But I I'm, you know, in this day and age that we live in, I need to be very clear about a few things about what God's standard and expectations for us is, especially those who say we call on the name of Jesus and that He's our Savior and that He is our king. You see, because God has made us sexual beings. And now we see certain exceptions of that in Scripture for those called to a life of celibacy and who are willing to give up that aspect of their their life. But he has still created us as you know, as human beings, as sexual beings. That's part of our humanity. And there are certain parameters. And God gave sex as a gift to humans. But as with everything that is good, there are certain parameters in which it is good. And as we see in chapter three, we have an enemy who is a liar and who, you know, perverts God's blessings and truth. See, see this is the, the thing about it. God is creative. The enemy is not creative. The enemy only perverts the creation. The enemy doesn't make anything new. He just perverts the good. So I, I, I think, you know, many, many, I'm just going to use the term very broadly. And I'm not talking necessarily about authenticity this morning, but many groups with a label of Christian on them. So, speaking very broadly, very generally, have gone the way on the world on this for decades now. And you see, there's things that go like this. Well, you know, I mean, we know young people are going to, you know, do things. So we don't want to lose young people. So, you know, let's stop talking about premarital sex. Let's stop talking about pornography. Let's stop talking. You know, then it moves. Okay, let's stop talking about adultery. Because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And at the risk of not hurting anybody's, you know, to, to remove the risk of hurting anybody's feelings or even for those in leadership to justify their own sins. So we're just—we're going to just ignore those things in the scripture or, or write them aside you know, through, oh, those are just cultural things and cultures change and it's okay. And you don't have to take that part of the Bible literally. Well, the reality is that everybody loses when we do that. Everybody loses. See, it's far better, again, to take that second route of brokenness where we say God's grace is available. To so we read to the church at Corinth, all these lists of terrible things. And a lot of them were sexual sins that had been committed. And they said, you know, as our patterns of life, even. And then the scripture says, and such were some of you. But you see, there's a, there's a, there's grace and there's help available in the gospel in the good news of Jesus Christ and his salvation See, and we're not just saved from the penalty of sin; we're also saved from the power of sin, and we can live victorious lives. So, if you were addicted to pornography before you came to know Jesus, you don't have to live addicted to it anymore. You can have victory in the name of Jesus. And yes, because you have done those things and seen those things, so we have our eyes have been ha- have have been affected. And therefore our minds, it's, it's harder for those who have gone further down that road. Yes, it's a tougher battle, but it's still a battle that can be won. There is still victory possible in the name of Jesus. So instead of telling people that there's victory possible in the name of Jesus, we've just said, well, pornography, you know, well, we haven't said, but many Christian groups have us said, well, it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, kids will be kids. Or teenagers will be teenagers or whatever. Not grasping with the effects long term of those things. You see, you know, on the, on the other side of the spectrum, you can end up, you know, with such an emphasis on shame and on guilt that then people won't even come for help. That's not good either, folks. That's not good either. So we, we need to have a balanced system where we are very clear on what God says is right and wrong and also very clear that God's grace and mercy is available to each one. See, that's the right balance. But a culture of license of just do whatever you want and it's okay is unhealthy and a, and a culture of legalism where you can't even admit your faults is unhealthy and it's not okay to do that to people so we have to be very careful and I would argue very biblical in our approach to these things Now, let me say another thing here that's important. We should not expect those who do not make any claim to follow Jesus to live by the standards that God has given us. We should not expect people who have not been freed from sin to live outside of the power of sin. See, our, our biblical you know, expectations are, are largely for, and I'm going to make a caveat here, but are largely for those who follow God. Now, if any of those things that a person who doesn't follow God yet follows that are biblical, their life is going to benefit from it. Like many people in the world benefit from marriage that God has given as a gift to all creation. And, and the majority who are married are not followers of God. Yet they still benefit from doing it God's way. Instead of doing it a different way from, than that. Okay. So there's still benefits there. And we also draw lines. You see, because we live in a, in a, whenever you live in a culture and a, live in a society, that culture and society does have rules and does have laws. Okay? And we're a part of that process as citizens, temporary citizens. Uh, I had a, a young man knock on my door uh, the other day. And he was, he uh, was, you know, asking people to get out and, and vote and to vote for a particular candidate, and he ended up telling me that his you know family had come over from another um, country and that um, you know had had escaped and, and got asylum in Canada, became a citizen of Canada, and his grandfather became a citizen of Canada and then moved to the United States and became a, a citizen of the United States. And so, you know, he was a citizen of multiple countries and I was like, oh, well, you know, I, I'm actually a citizen of, of more than one country. And he, he was like, what, really, what? I was like, yeah, you know, I'm a citizen of the United States. It's it's my temporary earthly like citizenship, but I've got a permanent eternal citizenship with Jesus in his country, in his kingdom. And uh, it, we had a really, it actually we ended up having a really great conversation um, But that was just a a great, you know, open door that was there. But, But my point here is that we live in a country and it has laws in our, you know, each, you know, we have federal laws and then we have state laws. And some of those laws have to do with sexuality, right? And, and we are for certain laws. You know, there's, there's certain things that are just sin that, you know, we don't want a law written about. You know, we don't want college students put in jail because they're having sex with each other. You know, like that's not something that we're, you know, we, we would might say something is wrong and sinful, but we don't want somebody put in, in jail for that. But we do draw lines where things hurt others. You know, things like that abuse, you know, people that abuse children. So we are like, hey, that's that's wrong. It's wrong in, in you know, God's economy and also in our culture, in our society. We also agree with God that that is wrong. And there are certain rules and punishments that should come along with that. Right. But as the morality of a culture breaks down, those those laws end up changing to where they end up protecting those who are doing evil. I'll give you an example of that. So again, you know, there's certain things that we would agree with. You know, we have certain laws called like Romeo and Juliet laws, right? So I think most of us here would agree that, you know, if, you know, and... and 18-year-old and 16-year-old are you know in, in a, a, a relationship where they have agreed and are consensual with one another that we don't want the 18-year-old put in prison we would agree with that but um, there's a particular state in our in our country that just um, it hasn't been signed by their governor yet we'll see what happens but um you know their legislation legislators just passed a law that says well it can be up to the judge as long as there's as long as the the minor is 14 and the adult is not over 10 years older so a 24 year old and a 14 year old really Think about that. A 24-year-old, don't think about that, but a 24-year-old and a 14-year-old and a judge can say, well, the 14-year-old, you know, knew what he or she was getting into. So it's okay. Are you kidding me? You see, because we have to recognize that there's an also an, an agenda to remove all standards. To eventually make it to where nothing is wrong. And that's where we need courage to stand up. We need courage to stand up and to, to have our voice heard and, and, and known on that. You know, And so when you start having issues of, you know, when we're talking about human trafficking. We're talking about. Um, you know, children being being sexualized and being um, groomed as a society and as a culture, we have to stand up. You know, it's been amazing um, to see just over this this past week, you know, the week or two, the the controversy over Netflix and. Cuties, you know, that, that that film which, you know, depicts this hyper-sexualization of, of young 10, 11-year-old girls. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to see so many in our society defend it. Oh, is this, it's just a social commentary and it's actually showing... Well, I'm thankful that, you know, one of our, our moms took the bullet for, for all of us and, and watched it. So could say definitively, no, that's not, um, you know, this is actually as bad as we think it is or feared it would be. And can can say with evidence and authority, this is not good. But we also have to recognize that that's not just a Netflix problem. Yes, I mean, let Netflix know they do that. They're not getting your money. I, I agree with that. At, at the risk of the cancel culture and everything else, we still, you know, you, you, can, you can vote with your feet and with your dollars uh, of what, you, what is right and wrong. In our culture, in our world. Maybe some people will wake up as they're driven by money anyway. If they're driven by money, they might change their behavior if they have less money. Just a thought. But don't be duped into thinking that they're going to change their behavior because they've now awoken morally Spiritually or, you know, ethically. Unless there's some sort of crazy revival at Netflix, which we can pray for, it would just be about the dollars. That's what's going to drive the decision. But my larger point there is that we as followers of Jesus oftentimes acquiesce to a culture that hypersexualizes women and teenage girls and even younger through all sorts of things and you know it's it's bad you know we're here in Athens Georgia University of Georgia every time I've gone to a like a basketball game what do we have to do at halftime well, we have to. We have to get up, and we're going to go get some popcorn or something. We got to go to concessions. We got to go take a walk through the concourse or whatever. Why? Because of what they're going. You know how the dance team is going to be dressed, and, and and the movements that are made. It's not good for me to see. It's not good for my children to see. But that didn't start there. That started. In high school, in middle school, toward the end of elementary school. And and listen, folks, I understand, you know, we have a fear of missing out. F O M O FOMO. Fear of missing out. So we're afraid we're afraid we're gonna miss out, so we won't say anything about you know the swimsuit that the swim team has picked for our kids to wear. Or the outfit for whatever sport or whatever thing it is. Because we don't have the courage to stand up. We have a fear of missing out. And that's where we have to have the guts to say, no, my kid can participate. But not wearing that. Or if that's the dance, if those are the moves they're going to be making, no, my kid won't do that. we have to be willing to take a stand to protect our our kids. And sometimes our kids are going to get really angry because of, of our responsibility to protect them. But who's making the decision here?